Human expression can get pretty filthy. Though it's, it's in that filth that I find intrigue. If I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. I don't know why I clapped. That was weird. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. Thanks for joining us. It's December 12th. We got a show. <laughs> Literally. All right. In The Devil's Advocate, further evidence of the satanic age by Magister Paradise. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Infernal Informant. We're getting hit from every angle. Georgia Dems fight attempt to bulldoze 2020 gains. And in the uh, Creature Feature, I'm going to talk about the first episode. I warn you, this is going to be Adam bitching of Invasion. <laughs> Forgot to tell you what, what episode it was. All right. Gary, how you doing? Thanks for joining live. What's up, Lexi? How you doing? Valeria, always great to see you. Jeff, what's up, man? Good to see you. Uh, James, thanks for joining live. Fareed, how are you? Mike, what is up? Achilles, great name. How you doing, Dallas? All right. I got a couple things to talk about before we dive into the show. This is weird. This is a weird... That's right. Can you still see it? Yeah, you can see it. All right. Ashworth, how you doing? <clears throat> Sorry for not showing you guys last week's... Uh, <laughs> last week's range day video. I went out there and I was just sort of caught up in the moment, in the experience. Had a great time. Threw a lot of rounds down range. Got rid of a lot of my stock <laughs> of bullets. But I had a great time. We were, everyone was sharing uh, their different weapons that they brought, different firearms, and just sort of, you know, had targets 250 yards away. And we had some that were, you know, about 12, 24 feet away that we were using our handguns and shotguns on and stuff. It was a good time. Irresponsibly, I did bring some liquor, but no one got stupid because we all know what we can handle and we all knew we had to be responsible. So it was a really good time. However, that being said, don't ever drink alcohol while, or any drug. Don't ever consume drugs while you're handling firearms. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> it was great, Jeff. It really did remind me, um, a couple of them had AR-15s. And so it really reminded me of, of my time in the military. I mean, it was like 20 years ago I was in the military, but it's still like the, the smell, um, the texture, Everything about it, loading magazines, <laughs> everything about it just reminded me of the military, but like the good parts of it, you know, except I didn't have to deal with a bunch of assholes that I didn't like, like I did in the military. I was with a bunch of friends and we were just like laughing and joking around and just had a great time. There was someone there who had never fired any firearms, didn't know anything about handling uh, safety, anything about firearms. And she was introduced to everything from literally an old school 22 six shooter to an AR-15 and everything in between. And she fired everything. It was great. She now feels confident and knowledgeable about how to properly handle them. She's not afraid of them like she was before. And it was a safe and inviting, welcoming environment. That's the best case scenario that I think everyone should have an opportunity um, to experience. It, it, it alleviated any, you know, anxiety that maybe she had before. And she was around friends to learn it. That's great. Hey, Alan, how you doing? Okay. Um, anyway, so sorry I didn't do any videos. I was having too much fun. Yesterday, I went to a wedding. Now, before I went to a wedding, um, my niece's wedding, I had reached out. They sent us an invitation. And usually my family doesn't invite us to the actual ceremony. They just invite us to the reception, which I find to be insulting. If you want us there, if you feel like we are a part of the family, which we are literally a part of, then you invite us to the ceremony. But if you're just invite us to the reception, that means you don't really give a fuck about us. You just want us to help you celebrate, help you party. Well, fuck you. If I'm a part of it, then I'm a part of it. If I'm not, I'm not. So I've 
completely ghosted some of my family's uh, weddings simply because they only invited me to the reception like a bunch of assholes. But in this particular case, she invited us to the ceremony. And so I wanted to wear my kilt. And I know that sometimes kilts can kind of upstage how other people look. It's not intentional. I'm not trying to showboat. It's just that's how I want to celebrate. That's how I want to look good. I want to feel good. And uh, so I reached out and I was like, hey, is it okay? <laughs> is it all right if I wear this? And she was like, yeah, no problem. It's going to be great. It's going to be, you know, we, we wouldn't expect anything else from a camel. It's like, awesome. So <laughs> what I didn't know is anything about her husband's family. And every single one of them was, was quintessential Utah. And if you don't know what that means, it is hick. And I'm talking their best dress is ironing blue jeans and, and shining their, their, their cowboy boots. Hick. That is not me. <laughs> I, I don't roll that way. I think it's weird. And the sensibilities of these people, because they're Mormon. Right. So they invited a Satanist and she knew I was a Satanist. So and I, it's not like I'm going out there with the Satanic Bible or a, a sigil of Baphomet or anything. I'm just I'm different. And it's clear just by looking at me, let alone when I open my mouth, that I'm wildly different than everyone else. So we, <laughs> we go there and everyone is staring at me like no one's ever seen a kilt before. Like this is the first time these people have ever even heard of the garment. They're just like, what? My nephew came up and I'm pretty sure he was just ribbing me, but he was like, Hey, nice skirt. I just wanted to punch him in his stupid fucking face. This is your culture. This is your heritage. This is your ancestry. This is a, a, a male garment meant to celebrate your male lineage in life. Why are you giving me shit for celebrating that while you're fucking wearing cowboy boots? which has nothing to do with your history, except for the region of this goddamn state that you live in. It's ridiculous. Like, it's okay to make up this bullshit romantic version of cowboys and Indians and walk around strutting your stuff like you ride horses every day, which you don't. It's okay to make that up. But if you're just going to celebrate your culture, literally half of the people there shared, why am I the weird one? didn't matter. I still went and I still flaunted and I still fucking rocked the shit out of it. It just kind of pisses me off. Like, you knew I was coming in it. Why are you talking shit? Are you trying to provoke me? Is that it? And here's the thing. Between friends, talk shit. I don't care. Like, that's what we do. We rib each other because we're friends. But if we're not close like that and you start talking shit to me, what are you trying to get out of me? Are you trying to get me to knock you down? Because that's the first step to that process. If I don't know you and start talking shit to me, then you're probably going to end up getting hit. Like, be a responsible adult and understand that you don't attack people based on their clothing unless you are trying to provoke a certain reaction. I'm actually acting like it bugs me now more than it actually bugged me in the... In, in the moment, but in reflection, I, I do have to like sort of think like, wait a second, what the fuck was he trying to get me to do? You know, cowboy boots with my kilt. <laughs> I went over, I went around to like, I have a very um, solid image of the type of shoes that I was looking for, type of wingtip shoes, and so I went around to like five stores trying to find some in my size and just that exist. It was nearly impossible. I finally found some, but it was it was a, a pain in the ass trying to find them. Hey, Brad, how you doing, man? Hey, Fidel, thanks for joining live. What's up, Jason? Um, yeah. So anyway, it was a good time. We ended up having a great time. I everyone was staring at me. I heard. Okay, hold on. I got to tell you this story. This is gonna. I don't know. I don't know why these fucking people do this. Fucking Utahns, man. So these are Grantsville people. Um, and that's like, um, that's like country. You know, it's like uh, sort of country bumpkin type folk. Not quite rancher level, because I can respect and appreciate rancher level, because rancher level is a lifestyle. Grantsville is on the verge of rancher, but it's more 
it's more culture than it is actual lifestyle. So, uh, <laughs> working on the Sabbath, what will Jesus think of you? <laughs> um, what the fuck am I talking about? I'm bitching about cowboy boots and shit. Uh, this this uh, whole um, what is it called the 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 men of honor or whatever the brides and groomsmen or whatever they they all went up there one of them had a mullet one of them had like two huge braids going down the top of his head not in like a punk or a rock and roller fashion but in like a I don't even know it didn't it didn't resonate as cool at all and then one kid had like this super like overweight just sort of like frumpy piece of shit had like these tiny corn rolls, corn rows, going all his head, and then he had these like little loops here. So they are not the pinnacle of fashionistas by any means. And again, the dads, they're wearing their best cowboy dress, literally 10-gallon hat and all. Uh, and so I'm coming down from taking a bunch of pictures with the family, because um, the bride and groom want you know different sets of pictures with everyone. And I'm coming down, and I can hear this tubby piece of shit the fucking lunchbox is talking about corn road lunchbox is talking about i can't believe they wear stuff like that it's disgusting first of all who the fuck is they there's a whole culture based around this you ignorant fat piece of shit and two you're wearing fucking cornrows there is cultural appropriation going on by cracker here and honky doesn't even get the fucking Irony that he's calling my garment out? Come on, you dumb piece of shit. Ugh. And the thing is, is I actually like Western wear. I, I don't think it looks bad at all. But there's an attitude that comes with it in most cases, certainly in my personal case, where they're just total ignorant pieces of shit. They don't think things through. They just bitch and moan about how people are different. And that's the problem. Not, not that they actually think about why people are different or they think about complexities of perspective. They just think they're not like me, they're dumb. And I can't, I can't, I can't live with that. I can't accept that. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. Anyway, <laughs> it is one of these, dude. It's totally one of these. Um, Anyway, I actually, my, my father-in-law, I have family who are actual ranchers, and them I respect. This stuff? Get the fuck out of here, pieces of shit. Anyway, not that it bugs me or anything. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> but we did have a good time. It was fun. Um, and then yesterday morning, right before the wedding, <laughs> we, uh, Joe and I did a Kickin' Rocks episode, and we... We had planned to do this um, Mill Creek hike, which is up, it's like 20, 30 minutes north of where I live. We'd never done the hike before, so we didn't, we weren't familiar with it. But the past two days, we've gotten a ton of snow, especially in the mountains. And so we thought, we're going to be having a snowshoe. This is his first time ever snowshoeing. Maybe we should do an easier hike. Plus, I have a time limit because I have to drive down and do this uh, wedding um, you know, make an appearance at the wedding. And so we needed a shorter hike that was less intense so it didn't take as long and because it's the first time snowshoeing. So I suggested one that's in Big Cottonwood Canyon. What I didn't take into consideration is that every time it snows, that weekend, everyone goes skiing. And so there was a queue of cars a mile long out of the canyon, not even in the canyon yet. So I would have to go halfway into the canyon to get to the spot that we were going to do the snowshoeing. So we were like, there's no way we're going to have time to even get there to do this. So let's just go and reverse course and do the original hike that we had already planned on doing. Like, we'll do as much as we can, and it'll just be a good time. We get there, and it was so much more challenging than I ever expected it to be. First of all, they had two feet of snow. So it was no trail markers. There was no trail. No one else had gone up there because we were the first thing in the morning. So we were paving the way through this stuff. And since I'd never done the trail before, it was very slow going. We were sort of like taking steps, holding on to like branches and stuff because it was literally like the trail, which I thought it was. And then it was a little cliff drop off and then a river. You don't want to fall in a river in the middle of winter. You could have problems. 
And so we're like fighting our way, trying to break this trail. And all the while, Joe is falling. Um, I'm falling. The snow is like, I'm getting caught up on the, the tree branches that are overhanging because the weight of the snow is pushing them down. And so we're literally having to like crawl through like a forest that's covered in snow and I get caught up and all the snow is like dumping down on me avalanche style. And it was not a good time, <laughs> but we fought through and we, uh, we got in three miles and we were like, all right, this is, this is going to be good, good enough. I can't do anymore. <laughs> I just can't do anymore. Uh, Hey Zachary, how you doing? What's up dog mom? So we, we recorded and everything, but now that I'm watching it back, it's actually really hilarious. I think it is anyway. Um, it, the sun never touched us. It was just completely in shadow between these two peaks and just two feet of snow just like embracing us the whole time. It was really kind of cool in reflection. In the moment, I was not happy. I tried to put on a good face, but I was kind of in a shitty fucking mood. So that was my, that was my weekend. It was a good time. What did you do? <laughs> All right, let's, let's start the show. Let's do this. It's been 60 minutes. Enough BS. I do, Brad. <laughs> I'm that guy. Ugh. There is nothing better than um, being surrounded by snow and it actively snowing and you being the only person out there in the wilderness. There's something genuinely magical about it. Just primeval. It's so great. But it's also dangerous. And there are realistic concerns that you have to take into consideration. Because we were planning to do a different hike, we didn't take those things into consideration. So we just were not prepared for the hike that we took. All right. I, I, I had this given to me as a birthday present not too long ago, and I'm glad I did because it's actually, so far, I'm not done with it. So far, it's pretty good. I wanted to talk about the first essay in it after the preface, and this is called Further Evidence of the Satanic Age. And this is Bearing the Devil's Mark written by, uh, uh, collected, but it's all written by Magister Paradise. So this essay is framed as a reflection on Satanism's impact on society and culture in the decades of its existence up until the 2000s when it was written. So it's covering from the very beginning to the 2000s. It's not anything in the 210s or into the 220s because it was you know, written so, far, so long ago. In the 1960s section, it completely ignored the point of Satanism's existence and instead focused on the surface differences between Christianity and hippies and Satanism, which I thought was weird because it framed it up of why, you know, why is Satanism doing so well and where it came from and stuff. Um, welcome to the Ninth Circle, Hail Satan 666, Ave Satanus 666. That is the most Satanic name I have seen on this channel, 666. <laughs> I think you might... You might want to dial back the devil in your life. That is a lot of, it's a lot of sixes, man. But welcome to the Night Circle regardless. Good to see you. Um, and I don't want to harp on it too much, but it did strike me as odd. Is the framing seemed to suggest that, well, if we are, this is further evidence of a new satanic age, at least talk about why it was important to have a satanic age or where it came from or, or out of. But instead, it, it kind of just surfaced, glossed over all of that. Um, however, once you get to the 1970s section, it parallels the vast exposure that Anton LaVey received in the media with the seemingly newfound safe and protected sexual expressions in American culture through the widespread availability of oral co uh, contraceptives of women and the securing of abortion rights through Roe v. Wade, which I thought was a really nice parallel, that you had this sort of freedom, uh, sexual freedom exploration and then it sort of, um, hey, Jameson, hey, Sean. And then it sort of juxtaposed it against uh, what's coming in the 80s. So in the 80s, it's centered around the Christian fundamentalism evolution and the securing of, or their securing of political power, uh, which enabled the satanic panic to 
even take place, but then further to demonetize and direct children and artists to Satanism rather than away from it by focusing so much on it. How you doing, Stephen? And I thought that was an interesting perspective to, ha perspective to have because even though it's, some, it's one of those things like, yeah, no, that makes sense. I'd never heard it articulated the way that he articulated it in this essay. And it was very much a situation where, you know, they're, they're talking about this tenant panic and all these evil uh, messages in music and records in the 80s of, of heavy metal and, um, you know, how it's, it's all evil and dark and, and satanic and just it should be everything that needed to be said to have everyone sort of push it away from them. And instead, it had an entire generation or two of people bring it, looking for it. You know, it's, it's like, don't touch the red button or keep your hand out of the cookie jar. The law of the forbidden in action here, folks. You talk about how evil and dark and scary Satanism is. People want to look. They want to know about it, right? And so it actually had the exact opposite of its intention, which I just, I love how he articulated it because I never really thought of it specifically like that at all. Uh, in the 1990s section, it actually begins with equating, and this is, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight through it and we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about it. It equates mandatory celibacy in priests with pedophilia without presenting anything but opinion to back up the assertion. It also sees the explosion, explosion of availability of Satanism online. So that second part in the 90s, that was a huge part of disseminating satanic information, both bullshit and reality, right? But it was a huge explosion. It, it literally reached out. You didn't have to wait in snail mail anymore. You could literally just click a button and AOL says you've got mail. And now you can actually communicate with other Satanists directly like immediately and at the tail end of that you had myspace i think which changed everything for people engaging instantaneously and moved them away from traditional bb forums and um posting mail uh what are those called mailing lists or um like alt satanism uh instead of going to those you could instantaneously act and react like in a regular chat room so that was huge for satanism but I wanted to go back to this equation because I thought it was really out of place and strange. And it reminded me of my complaints last week about, uh, it was actually in a daily vlog, I think, where I was saying that the doctor's idea of trans men was dated. Well, I think this is a dated essay, but I think it's a dated idea, and I think it's an absurd idea, to try to make the connection between celibate priests equals turning a otherwise non-pedophile into a pedophile. That does not equate to me. And everything I've ever learned about um, sexual preference, yes, people can react and uh, repeat traumas that they've experienced, but that does not mean that they are necessarily... Uh, homosexual or transsexual or pansexual or asexual or pedophiles. Now, everything I've ever heard from, psychology, from um, psychologists is that pedophilia is a sexual preference. It's not an accepted form. It's not accepted in our culture. It has been in past cultures and different places around the world it's okay. It's not okay in American culture. It's looked down upon and specifically in Satanism, it's it's disgusting. We, we don't even accept it as an idea. You know, it's like, no, that's verboten. But it does exist, and so you have to acknowledge it. And you can't just say, because you're celibate, that's going to make you a pedophile. That's the most redundant, insane statement I've ever read. And it just shocked me. I was like, I don't, I don't equate that at all. I don't know. I don't want to harp on it because it's just one little line that may have been like a throwaway thought. But it is in the essay, and so I have to kind of bring it out and say, eh, that's bullshit. Okay, so the 2000s focuses on the groundswell of satanic media and adoption by youth, including the increase in atheism and defense of freedom from religion in our society. And this is sort of the end curve of the point of the essay where it's explaining how... Um, 9-11 happened and you know religious fundamentalism is finally being seen as the absurdity in some cases um, that case of uh, the judge who put in a, a, a Ten Commandments statue in his um, 
office that was removed because it was a public place and he was then kicked off from being a judge uh, because of it. And it's the idea that there's more of an atheistic bent to society that's growing. I don't necessarily see how that equates satanic future because atheists are not Satanists and Satanists are not atheists. We are atheists. And there is a difference, and you have to understand that difference. You cannot just equate people who don't believe in any God with Satanists because we believe in ourselves. And there is a huge difference in that. It's finding ways of empowering yourself versus just being antithetical to any sort of religious ideology, which most atheists are, rather than focusing on not worrying about an afterlife, they're actively trying to prove that it doesn't exist. Prove that there's no God because it's not rational and, and, and religious people are just sort of nonsensical and insane and crazy. Well, okay, but that's not the whole sum of being an atheist, is it? Just saying what you're against, not what you're for? And if atheism is not for anything, well, then I certainly don't identify that way as a Satanist because I do believe in things. <laughs> like carnal pleasures um so i gotta open up some of these comments uh so i do i do like some of the ideas that he threw out there for the 2010s in talking about the expansion of ideology but i think if if we're talking about an era that was really ripe for this like satanic era I would, I would have to argue that we have to focus on the 70s, 80s, and 90s as being really the most prime satanic times. Because as soon as we get into 2000s, we're going more atheistic and less religious in general, which means also Satanism, because Satanism is a religion. And 2010s, if we want to go to there and beyond, we're starting to see a, a whole new curvature of what people equate as satanism you're getting christians who are just using the bad guy phrase you're getting people who just want to who, who before wanted to start their own offshoots but now they're all clustering under this umbrella of political activism in the name of a satan and all the while obfuscating what satanism actually is and outright trying to redefine it so this is definitely not a satanic age right now because we're actively muddying the waters of what satanism actually is and it's not just these groups and these idiots it's actually the media as well because now we live in a, a dying media world where you in social media you have to have a headline that just grabs you by the short hairs and forces you to pay attention just to the headline and that's all you need and so as, as long as it's salacious or it's extreme then that news our outlet has gotten a click and that's all they need from it and that's actually destroyed the perception of Satanism, in my opinion. Um, and I don't think it's a satanic panic, but I do think we are in an era where it takes three times longer than it should to explain what Satanism actually is versus what people believe it is. Because now we don't even just have to fight against the Christian idea of what Satanism is. Now we have to fight with people who actually claim to be Satanists about what Satanism is. So how can we ever expect anyone to actually understand anything? It's really frustrating. So this essay wrapped up with the 2000s saying that this is proof that um, the age of Satan is undeniably here. It was, <laughs> it was, we're backsliding. Um, politically, we are more divided than ever. Um, we are more aggressive to each other than ever. And uh, the idea of Satanism, of focusing on the individual, how can that exist in a healthy society when the society is not healthy and it's divided entirely into tribes? So I would uh, definitely argue that, yeah, Jeff, you're absolutely right there. Um, we are not in a de facto satanic society. That is not what this essay is saying, that right now we are. Um, it's saying that at the time it was written, it is undeniable as he perceived it. Um, 
ultimately, I think it was a really good essay. Um, I think it, it could do with maybe a revision or maybe a, another look at it to try to pull out some more minutiae detail about the very beginning, maybe to try to pay off some of those assertions that were made um, about sexuality and Catholic priests, and then maybe about going forward a little bit more into the history about where Satanism is moving into this new satanic age or what this new satanic age looks like or, or the health of the satanic age that we live in. But then you could argue that's the realm of the Church of Satan book about the history and the We Are Satanists book about the future. So maybe it doesn't need. It's just a nice little filler, you know, in the timeline. He did a lot of research, which I thought was well done. And he presented a lot of examples for a lot of his arguments, which I thought was great. I think it's definitely an essay worth looking into and worth reading. And if you haven't picked up the book as of yet, or the collection of essays um, in this book form, I would highly recommend it. It's, it's definitely good. So, you know, do yourselves a favor if you have a moment. It's not expensive. It's available on Amazon and, and any other bookstore that you try to get it from. So do yourself a favor and check it out. All right, let's do a little Infernal Informer. We tried that, cult dad. <laughs> How you doing, man? What is a satanic I wouldn't get too hung up on pronunciations. Honestly, just referencing the Baphomet or Baphomet, that different regions, different dialects, different cultures, people say things differently. I, it, there's no right or wrong, you know, it doesn't matter. Focus on the, the substance rather than the presentation. All right, let's see here. The first one, probably going to be bitching a little bit about this. And I want to start by saying this is an article written on the side of Democrats bitching about Republicans. And I don't find myself on the side of Democrats. In this particular argument, I am, because I believe in a just political system. I believe in the idea of a just political system. I don't believe we have one. I don't believe we ever had one. But there are ways of making it more just and, and available. But Republicans are actively working against that vision rather than for it, and Democrats are trying to work for it. So you clearly have a division of people who want fewer people to vote so they can stay in power and people who want more people to vote so that they can stay in power. The difference being, and the, the real problem that is going to underlie this entire article and why I don't find myself on Democrats' side, is because they don't do anything with the power when they have it. They have total chance of making a progressive society that they that got them into office in the first place and then they don't do anything all they do is just blame the republicans for not being able to do it and yes there are democrats who are actually republicans that are working against them which is why they're in, in unable to actually really push over and do a lot of legislation this term but that's when you as the president or you and the vice president go and politically campaign in those democrat states and force them to go along with not just their party, but also their base. They're actively working against their political base. Okay, so not only are they feckless as a party, they don't actually try to use the power that they actually have. And they don't know how to seemingly use it. They just, they can't get out of their own way. They lose even when they win. They're disgusted. So why would anyone vote for a Democrat? What are you going to get? A, a, a feel good, maybe, if you happen to align with them politically or socially? That, that's it. It's just like, hey, I feel good because I, my team won. Okay, but what is your team actually going to do? This is why I don't ever vote for Republicans, because they don't actually do anything for anyone except for themselves. And I don't fit in the top... 2% tax bracket, so I don't actually benefit. So why the fuck would I vote for a Republican when I don't benefit? But equally, why would I ever vote for a Democrat when they don't actually do anything? 
It's infuriating. So you have this division in the Democratic Party that is going to cause them to lose this election. Bad. It is going to be total Republican control this coming election, I bet. Um, and it's that you have the old school corporatists who, again, are just like Republicans. They don't care about progressive ideas or um, uh, legislation. All they care about is securing up power politically and financial backing politically, which means they do what their donors say. So when they say, don't back that progressive, progressive agenda, don't let people have money for college, uh, don't give people free health care, don't, um, uh, uh, don't give them uh, extra time off for when they uh, have babies because that's going to affect our corporations, the Democrats say, yes, master, okay, master. And you have this tiny little party called the progressives in the Democratic Party. They're like, no, this is ridiculous. We're facing some real existential crises in our goddamn country that need to be addressed, and it's going to cost some money. And we've done it historically in the past. We can do it again now, but they don't have any power. And so what do they do? They bitch and moan in social media, but then they back down, and they go along with the party line. And you can't back down. Oh, that's a song. A little Tom Petty action. I won't back down <laughs> anyway that's where this article is coming from so first passage of one of the most uh, nation's most restrictive voting bills then came efforts to overhaul the number of elected official officials in one of georgia's largest counties now with the pending passage of a new congressional map republicans have taken another step towards dismantling the atlanta area engine that turned georgia blue powering President Joe Biden to victory in 2020 and flipping control of the Senate to Democrats. I was so against Biden once we began this whole goddamn thing. I remember if you guys remember those conversations when I found out he was the um, nominee. But... <sighs> just disappointment oozing out of every pore. All right, just as Georgia has emerged as a pivotal swing state, the GOP-controlled legislature has gone to extraordinary lengths to overhaul election administration, rewrite election rules, and redraw political lines in the fast-growing metro re uh, region that is currently reshaping state politics. The changes stand to roll back many of the recent Democratic Party's gains or dilute Democratic power. And with a high-stakes Senate race, a governor's race, and several competitive House races in 2022, they could have implications that reach well beyond Georgia's borders. We're getting hit from every angle, says Dontaya Carter, a former spokesman of the Fulton County District Attorney, and also a 2021 mayoral candidate in Sandy Springs, Georgia, less than 20 miles north of Atlanta. We're fighting against it, but the reality is, is we don't have the political capital or the resources to make an impact. Sweeping Democratic changes in historic black turnout in Metro Atlanta's four largest country, counties, Fulton, Gwinnett, Cobb, and DeKalb, have sent shockwaves through Georgia politics in recent years, flipping two House seats to Democrats in the last two election cycles, sending Ralph Warnock and John Assoff to the Senate in January, and making Biden the first Democratic presidential nominee in a quarter century with the state. The newly redrawn congressional map, which is currently awaiting GOP uh, Governor Brian Kemp's signature is likely to erase one of those House gains by splicing Cobb County, a one-time Republican stronghold that has trended Democratic in recent years, into four congressional districts. Republicans managed to dilute the county's Democratic votes and force Democratic um, representatives Carolyn Bordeaux and Lucy McBath to run against each other. I want to address this really quick. This is dirty politics, but this is politics. That's what they do. What I never understood is why Democrats are so afraid to get their hands dirty. They're so afraid that the voter base is going to turn on them if they use the exact same tricks that the Republicans use in order to gain the election that they don't even try. But the truth is, people still vote Republican. People still believe in Republican ideas knowing that the representatives are liars, hypocrites, cheats, and corporate whores. They still vote for that. So you have to stop pretending like you're some holier-than-thou entity when you're not. You have to fight. You have to stand up toe-to-toe -to -toe and put your fist in their eye. That's the only way, politically, not literally, politically. It's the only way you're going to win against Republicans. That's it. 
Stop playing nice and get dirty. Uh, let's see here. Sorry, I saw some messages that were being held. One person, one vote is eroded. The way Republicans have done cracking in this map is with laser precisions, said State Representative Eric Allen, who chairs the Cobb County delegation in State House and is running for lieutenant governor. I mean, they've broken communities of interest, voices, and diluted their political voice a tremendous amount. People of color are on track to become a majority on the population soon in Gwinnett, one of the fastest growing counties in the state. And here's another thing that I think Democrats take for granted. Simply because it's a minority or it's a person of color does not mean they vote Democratic. And you cannot automatically equate the two. Because not only is that wildly racist, or at least racial, it's not true. There are independent and Republican people of color. Full stop. The you can't break like you cannot break party lines down by ethnicity you just can't because it's not the reality and that's one of the reasons why i think hillary lost i mean other than the fact that it was hillary but hillary lost against trump initially is because the democrats at that time thought hey we have every woman and every person of color in our back pocket we don't even have to worry about it and that bit them in the ass they didn't even go and 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 hold rallies in some states because they thought they had it in the pot in the bag but they clearly didn't and democrats have to stop taking people for granted if you want someone to vote for you you have to give them a reason which means you have to get in front of them you can't ignore them and you can't just hope that because they're black they're gonna vote for you drives me insane okay uh, like Cobb County, it's moved left as it's become more divisive. Last year, Democrats flipped a majority of Gwinnett County offices, capturing control of the county commission and school board while winning the county sheriff and district attorney offices. All of the leadership posts in those offices and boards are now occupied by black politicians. In early November, however, Republicans in the state Senate set in motion legislation that could roll back these gains by doubling the number of members in the county commission and making its school board nonpartisan. Think about that for a second. This was an argument that some progressives were saying about the Supreme Court. When the Republicans took wild control of the Supreme Court, and we're just now starting to see the repercussion of that if you're paying attention, Roe v. Wade, abortion rights, um, when you, the, the progressive, I'm sorry, I was uh, sort of like backpedaling my thought processes. Um, the Republicans took control of this, the Supreme Court, well, some of the progressives were like, well, let's just add more seats to the Supreme Court. So we have a balance of Democrats versus Republicans on the board, even though they're not supposed to be political. They're human beings who are political. It just happens. So Democrats wanted to add more seats to the Supreme Court, which is legal, in order to make it even. But they didn't do it because they're terrified of the repercussions. They're terrified of actually fighting for stuff that they claim to believe in. However, when Republicans are faced with the same problem and Democrats control a board, they're like, let's just add more seats and put Republicans in. So what do they do? Just that. If it's good enough for the goose, it's good enough for the gander. Stop being bitches, Democrats, and fight for your opinions. You would be surprised at how many people would actually back you if you followed through with what you claimed you were going to do. The practical end would be to dilute Democratic power at the moment a party is taking control. Even with newly installed Democratic majorities in both boards, their decisions will require buy-in from new members, which would likely represent largely white and Republican areas in the number of seats expanded. We're seeing the alarming trend of Republicans trying to usurp local control, says State Rep. B. Nagoyan, who is going for Secretary of State next year. They know that in Gwinnett, it's going to be hard to have any kind of Republican control there. And so they're using their mechanisms to try and regain the control they've lost. What would you expect them to do? Just roll over and say, all right, well, golly darn it, you won. Have a nice day. We'll see you in the ballot box. No, they fight. You have to respect Republicans. They fight. They fight dirty, but they fight. Oh. Those who aren't only regional constraints under 
uh, those aren't the only regional constraints under discussion. Under Georgia's restrictive new voting law, the state can disband the local election administration office and replace it with a state-appointed superintendent. The state's power to do so is limited. The law only allows election boards in four counties at a time to be disbanded. But if those four counties were Fulton, Gwinnett, Cobb, and DeKalb, it could wreak havoc on Democratic prospects because Republicans would have the power to challenge election results, hold up certification, and announce investigations into the counties that produce the bulk of Democratic votes. It's brilliant. It's dirty. It's disgusting. But it's brilliant. And you're not doing anything about it. In Atlanta's Fulton County, a Republican-initiated election review panel has already been formed to look for evidence of unresolved errors or a breach of election law in a county's election oversight since 2018. Georgia Republicans have dismissed Democrats' gains that any of the actions are motivated by racial or partisan considerations. Of course they are. Why, why, would, they, why would they admit it? Why would you ever admit that? Just say you don't and then go and do. Um, Clint Dixon, the Gwinnett-based Republican state senator, who is the lead sponsor of the two bills that would change the county commissioner's size and make the school board nonpartisan, said the idea was just false. It's about our kids, he says. They've already been through a rough patch with the pandemic, and many of them have fallen behind because of virtual learning. And now, you know, we need to move on that. We need to get back to on track and just focus on kids and protect children. That's what it is. Yeah, it's always about family values with you Republicans, isn't it? <laughs> Such liars. Dixon said he plans to broaden the school board legislation when it will be revisited during the January legislative session to make it a statewide policy that would make all county school boards nonpartisan. He called it the first step in getting politics out of our school system. So in order to get politics out of the school system, we need to get politics into the school board. Hmm. But the timing of the bills, less than a year after Democrats took majorities in the county commission and school board, while the latter elected the first black chair, is suspect. As soon as we elected all people of color in the Gwinnett County Commission and have a majority of people of color leading the school board, we see efforts introduced to immediately strip people of color from positions of power, strip their power, says a state rep, Sam Park, who chairs the Gwinnett County delegation in the legislation. Metro Atlanta Democrats also remain leery of as-of-yet unknown implications of the other provisions in the state's new voting rights law. Those provisions include limits in the number of drop boxes in counties, a short absentee voting schedule, and more stringent voter ID requirements, all of which could have a disproportionate impact on four counties. I think we are made vulnerable with what happened with the dismantling of voter rights, and all of those things have been smaller, kind of like death by a thousand cuts, says Latasha Brown. Okay, hold on, I want to back up for a second, because there is something to be said eight years ago about these provisions include limits on the number of drop boxes in counties, a shortened absentee voting schedule, and more stringent voter ID requirements that would disproportionately impact certain areas. But eight years ago, when you were making that argument, why didn't you shore up the, the legislation or pass legislation in order to prevent this type of handling? If you have power, you have to use the power. They need to get rid of the filibuster full stop. That was a bullshit act that ever came out. It should never have existed. Get rid of the filibuster and just shore up the fucking laws to prevent people from tampering with the ability to vote. And after eight years, are you still going to complain about voter ID rights? By eight years, you should have been able to get a fucking valid ID! Stop complaining about things that you can actually solve by just getting off of your ass. We have an old, a rule of the earth about it. Do not complain about that which you need not subject yourself to. Everyone was celebrating Georgia going blue last year, and I was just kind of like, oh no, we did not win the state legislation. We're in trouble, says John Jackson, chair of DeKalb County Democrats. Democrats really haven't registered in their minds how important the state legislature is and why we need to have a better emphasis on winning the state legislatures. Republicans have stacked the cards in their favor. They always have. They always will. Why aren't you? Oh. <laughs> 
Acknowledging the system does not work for you and finding or building one that does benefit you is a far cry from throwing your hands up and accepting defeat. True. Very true. That is a good point. Uh, the Democrat-Republican swing only leaves us swaddling into oblivion. <laughs> Nobody agrees, so we just pass the wheel back and forth without ever choosing a direction as people. Yeah, you're right. It's true. We'd rather pick a team and just cheer it than actually take any fundamental action because it's easier to just say, woohoo, <laughs> you know? Ugh. The law's not allowing a person to give a person water in a voting line is way out of control. That's just, yeah, it's just, why not? It, first of all, they don't have legislatures, um, legislative power, so they can't make that change. But that's why it's so important that the citizens who vote in their legislators, meaning this coming election, now is the time you need to start bringing that up to the people and saying, look, if you care about these situations, these, these rules, you need to put these people on blast. This is what Republicans about. It's about lying, cheating, and stealing so they can keep power. It's not about helping you. They don't even want to let you have water in a fucking voting line. They don't want you to vote. Shout it every single day at the top of your lungs. Put it on billboards. Make sure everyone sees it. Wear it on t-shirts. Make sure everyone understands that if you vote Republican, you're voting against your own self-interest. And then you can actually get Democrats into positions of legislation so that they can actually not do anything because they don't ever do anything. But if they were smart, that's when they would then make the laws and correct the errors that they were complaining about to get them into office. The problem is they don't do it. And if they just would take action when they had power and not be timid and afraid and fight for the values they claim, they might actually... Do something and keep. The After George W., it was insane to me to think that there would ever be a Republican president again. How? How could you? We just had Bush Sr. and Bush Jr. wreck the economies. It took Clinton to bring it back into health and it took Obama to bring it back into health. They wrecked our entire society. W. did more damage than Trump could ever have even tried. W did more fundamental damage to America as an institution, as a political machine, than anyone ever in our president history. And yet, Republicans got Trump in. That's how bad Democrats are. Trump, a failure of a businessman. Repeat bankruptcies, stupider than anyone has ever been in office arguably stupider than fucking W. But it did keep us out of war. Not my cap to you there, sir. <laughs> when the uh, Hawks wanted him to go into war. So, no, we're, we're going right back Republican and we're all going to have to deal with more tax um, drop-offs, which means less support for our, uh, our, our infrastructure, less support for our schools, more religious in engagement in our government, local and national. And if you are a conservative Christian, then that's great. If you're a free-thinking individual, I would argue that that's not. But I understand it because the Democrats don't do shit. They're too stupid and too weak. So why should I ever vote for them? It's an insane thought. <laughs> Ugh, so frustrating. Okay, that being said, let's do something fun. <laughs> More bitching. If you ever saw him talk, Zachary, I don't see how you could believe that. All right, let me throw up a different image. And, uh, ooh, man, get into it. I'm doing this early because I'm going to dinner after this, and so I just... 
I want you guys to know that I do try to keep it in the evenings on Sundays, but if I have things that I got to do, then I got to switch it around. I do appreciate you guys being willing to, to switch the, the show time with me, though. I appreciate that. Okay. Invasion. My wife alerted me to this. This is on Apple TV. It is currently sitting at 5.9 out of 10 on IMDb, and it is 46% rotten with a 44% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I didn't know any of that going in, and so I went into it based off the trailer, which features Sam Neill, and if you know Sam Neill, you know it's going to be good. He's in Hunt for the Wilder People, which was brilliant. He was in Jurassic Park, which is earth-shattering. He was in Event Horizon, which was arguably one of the greatest space horror films after Aliens. Uh, the Omen 2, or The Omen 3, I mean, which I want to love more than I actually do. I really want to, but it's still good. He's great. Sam Neill. Oh, and I almost forgot. He's in the Mouth of Madness. Why didn't I even freaking think of that? The best Lovecraft film ever made that has nothing to do with Lovecraft. On, on the letter. But it's literally Lovecraft. Um, he's amazing. I love this actor. And so once I saw him in the trailer, I was like, done. We're watching this and we're going to enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> Here's the log line. Earth is visited by an alien species that threatens humanity's existence. Events unfold in real time through the eyes of five ordinary people across the globe as they struggle to make sense of the chaos unraveling around them. The setup is great. I, I grew up on V. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was an alien invasion show when uh, in the 80s, I think it was. Um, I love alien invasion shows. I want to believe. I, I loved uh, X-Files. Uh, I just, I'm obsessed with the idea of aliens and I love the idea of them coming down and either, you know, War of the Worlds style decimating us or, you know, sort of like V trying to weed their way into our political systems and stuff um, like they were doing in, uh, in X-Files too. I just, I love aliens. I like space. I like aliens. That being said, I don't like it when a British actor tries an American accent. Arguably, I can understand the opposite of that, right? Why wouldn't a British person love an American actor doing a British accent? They're just not good. But Sam Neill, who is a good actor, cannot at all give any semblance of an American accent. In the whole first episode, he ranged, he, he was like, I can't do one American accent, so I'm just going to do them all. And badly, I might add, it was so bad that it took me out of the entire show. I couldn't concentrate at all. I was just like, what the fuck are you, what are you doing? Does no one understand that America is a melting pot of different ethnicities and regions? People just come to it. You don't have to change your accent. You can have a British accent and be a sheriff. It's okay. It's, you can be an American and have a job in America and not have an American accent wherever you live regionally, right? It's absurd. So why the hell did they make him change his goddamn accent? Especially when it's so shitty. Fuck, and I like this actor a lot. But he shit the bed hard. And that one performance ruined the entire series for me. I just sat here. I, I was just beside myself. I could not believe what I was watching. It was a travesty. And then it ended... And the next show started queuing up, and I was like, I can't do it. I can't, I can't sit through that again. Oh God, it was so bad. Ugh. Ugh. Hate it. Hate it so much. Okay. That being said, it actually looks pretty good. <laughs> like, it, it took me out of it, and so I couldn't appreciate it. And what people complain about, and the reason why it has such bad ratings, is because it's a slow burn. I happen to like slow burn films and series. I like it when they take their time to set up tension, to set up situations so that you're actually invested in the characters when the aliens start attacking and their lives get all upturned and stuff. They do a really good job of setting up some really tense moments in different characters and they're, they're showing you this um, sort of invasion as it were from a whole bunch of different cultural and regional perspectives. And so you, you get a real broad spectrum of, of um, the complexity of the human experience across the world and 
how they're going to then try to deal with this. Until Sam Neill opens his mouth, then you don't care about any of it. And you're just like, shut up. Shut your dirty, rotten mouth. <laughs> oh, it would have been so good if he just kept his normal accent and just played the role. It would be an amazing entry episode. So anyway, if you've ever seen it, what did you think? Did you like it? Do you like Sam Neill? Like, I'm obsessed with this actor. Like, I, I love him. I think he's a fantastic actor who has a really great range. And this is the only movie I've ever seen him try to do an American accent in. So why? I'm sure maybe he's done it before, I, and I just don't know because I haven't seen his whole scope of work but if you suck try something else and you as a director when you see someone shit in the bed you need to tell them to pull their pants up you need to tell them to go change them go change your pants wash out your shitty american mouth and then come back here and do it right do it with your british natural way of doing things and just own it i think he even had a british accent when he was supposed to be an american in uh, The Omen 3. Now, I think they, they played that off because he was born in England, but his parents were American. They were ambassadors. So the devil's son should not have an English accent. <laughs> I never thought about that either. That's really funny, too. He was born... <laughs> well, no, that's not true. He wasn't because he was switched at birth. Okay, so Satan's English. Okay, I get you. I did his mother was a jackal is what it was in The Omen. Oh, man. You should watch it, Jason. It's, it's worth it just for getting angry. First of all, first world problems here, right? I, I live a sweet enough life that I can lose my shit over a stupid TV series. Like, that's, I feel good about that. So I don't have any room to complain about anything. I am, I am not in a position to have any opinion on anything because I am just way too fortunate as a human being. However... It's not going to stop me from doing it. Damn it. All right. That's really all I wanted to talk about. I just wanted to bitch about Sam Neill's American accent. Sorry. <laughs> There's, it, really, it, does, it really does look like it's going to be good, though. I will give it another shot because I don't want to spoil it, but I just won't say anything else. I do want to give it another shot, though. I love slow burns. I love alien invasion stories. It has to be good, right? Like, 46% rotten is not promising, and a 44% audience score sucks, and 5.9 is not good. But not everyone likes slow burn, so I don't know. Maybe it'll be good. Okay, that's it. That's all I had. Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you have a fantastic day. Um, I, I see uh, a, a visualized graph of people coming in and out of uh, watching the show, tuning into to the YouTube channel while it's live and I can see the different parts of my commentary of the show and I can see the dips so like when I'm talking about politics it starts going up and it's just hard drop <laughs> people are like F him I don't want to hear his BS you know I just I love that so much because there is this there's this like ridiculous idea that people are like oh no Reverend Campbell he's, he's, he's a Democrat and progressive and then you get me bitching about them and they're like oh wait what what? I don't understand. What This doesn't compute. But he's complaining about Republicans. So if he doesn't like Democrats and he doesn't like Republicans, I just don't want to hear him at all because he's not going to be on my team. I love that. Don't be on my team. Don't watch my show. Fuck off. <laughs> if you can't handle difference of opinion, you don't belong here. Go away. Shoo. Go listen to whatever you're into. And I'll be fine and you'll be fine. I, I can't even say fuck Biden because, like, he's not even. I mean, is he really there? Is he a hologram? Is he, like, risen like Jesus? <laughs> Three days after he was announced president, he died and then he came back to life? Like, I can't tell if he's actually in control or not. And when you see the infighting between um, uh, the, the White House itself. And Kamala Harris, you know, she's not in charge. 
so what the fuck is going on? Who's in charge here? Like, I, I'm really curious. Because I know it's not the political left that the right says it is, because nothing that they want to be done is being done. I know it's not the Republicans in control, because nothing that they want done is being done. And I know it's not the corporate Democrats, because nothing is being done. So who's in control? It's like we're a, a, a rudderless ship just adrift in an ocean. Like, we're waiting until next election. See you guys later. And like a shark comes up, have like a Jaws situation. Um, I don't even want to talk about politics anymore. I'm done. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Next week will be a normal six o'clock show in the evening. Uh, that's mountain time. Have a fantastic one. Until next time, hail Satan. I've seen